many of you have an iPhone or an iPod or maybe a Mac computer? Um, Apple is is an example of vertical integration. When Apple, uh, when when everything began to come into place, instead of buying all of their parts from everybody else, they began to build their own parts. They began to uh, do, do their own hardware. They did their own software. They've done. They've made their processors. And what that allows them to do is this: have control. Right, y'all, y'all. Most of you that use Apple very long understand that Apple's got pretty good control of their their products. What it does is it allows them to to have control of of their 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 items, their computers, their phones. They have somewhat of control there, but it also allows them to have security. Uh, it's it's a more secure product because everything is handled in house. It also drives the cost up. Therefore. Um, our iPhones are really more valuable than they were. Well, let me give you a, a closer example. Ashley Furniture, right down the road. I don't know much about Ashley's business, other than that's a really big building. They have a bunch of trucks. Okay? Um, and somewhere along the way, they've driven the price up somehow, somewhere, when you go to the store. Anyway, uh, let's just say Ashley Furniture decides, instead of, uh, instead of buying their springs from a, from a spring company and buying this product from that company, they begin to purchase all of these all of these smaller companies that provide their parts and they bring them all in-house and therefore they have greater control over the styles and, and the, the, the intricate details of, of the final product that comes out. Okay, so that, that's, the, that, that's up the chain. They at the top have the chain down below in their possession and their ownership. What does that have to do with anything? Well, I want you to see something this morning in Scripture that I believe we must recognize about our walk with the Lord, about our lives. Because I think what needs to happen for us is that we begin to live a vertically integrated life, not that you and I are in control, but that we understand who is on top. That is, that God Almighty is the controller. You understand that in life, Everything is His. We are His. Okay? The finished product that God is trying to produce in our lives would be us in the image of Christ. That Scripture says that we are His workmanship, like He is an artist uh, working on us. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That there is a finished product, that there is a goal for our lives. It's not that God looks at us and and says about our lives, you know, uh, as long as you are breathing air and taking in food, and uh, you're okay. It's not that God is developing us. God is creating in us that workmanship that brings Him glory and brings Him honor. So He is the owner. We are His product that He's finishing on. And life, life is the instrument or the tool that bring about in us, bring about in us the, the glory that brings honor to His name. So when we are surrendered to Him, when we are yielding our lives to Him and allowing Him to have full control over every area of our lives, then we can see His handiwork come out in our lives. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. I want to illustrate it this way now and, and maybe another way in a little bit. Uh, you've, you've seen, you've heard of, of a vertical or a horizontal plane, right? Let's imagine our lives are a 
horizontal plane, and along that plane there are there are different things. There 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 is our home life, and there's our work life, and there's our school life, and there's our hobby life, and there's uh, you just go on down the list. You can fill up your your horizontal plane, and if we're honest this morning, a lot of times we feel like our horizontal plane is full, right? But somewhere along that vertical plane, we might insert God. And it might be that he is he takes up a little space on the, on the on the beginning of the week called church time, and therefore we come to church and we hear about God in Sunday school or we sing about God and and hear about Him in worship and and, and then we walk away from uh, walk away from Him and, and we we enjoy or we participate in this horizontal life while all the while leaving God at at the beginning. Now, if I, if I want to represent God, I've got to use a, a vertical plane, right? And, and so, where what, not, what needs to happen in our lives is this: that all of this all of the activities, everything about life, this horizontal life, must meet Him in this vertical plane. We must be in relationship to Him. Amen. But what happens is we cannot leave Him on the far end of our week called. Sunday, when in reality, everything that goes on in our lives, He needs to go with us. You see, nothing in our lives makes sense without Christ as Lord over those. He's not just Lord on Sunday. If He is, He's not really Lord at all. He should be the Lord of our lives wherever we are on our horizontal plane. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I want you to read with me Matthew 6, 1 through 18. We're going, we're going to read and we're going to talk about what Jesus says about living this life. Verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Verse number five, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from, from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I want to take just a minute before I get into the, into the passage to give you a, a teachable, just, just something you need to understand about reading your Bible. Okay, number one, you should read your Bible. But we have to be very careful. Uh, there, there are three teachings here, right? There are three teachings. One about giving, one about praying, and one about fasting. Now, if we, we can and we might uh, take each one of those individually, but we're not going to do that today, I want you to see something. When you read your copy of God's Word, when you read Scripture, don't you dare just pick and choose here and there. Read it all in context. Because when you read these 18 verses, these are three separate teachings, but they have one huge incredible truth. An, an enormous incredible truth that God, that Christ is teaching His disciples that's very applicable to our lives today. So when you read God's Word, you, you read one verse, read ten verses before it, ten verses after it, read the entire chapter. Whatever you do, don't just... Don't just look at one little spot on its own. Study to show thyself approved unto God. If you're going to do that, then you've got to read God's Word in context. Okay? Now, that was a tangent. I wanted to give that to you because I want you to understand. We're looking at 18 verses, three different teachings, but one incredible truth. I want you to look at what these three things Jesus teaches about living a a vertically integrated life, a life that, that, that connects the horizontal of our lives, the everyday of our lives with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one is this. Live in light of God's expectation. We need to live in light of God's expectation. He talks about these three things. Giving. Uh, he talks about uh, praying. He talks about uh, fasting. And, and what He does with these is, is this. He's not giving these to be legalistic or burdensome. These are things that, that were established in the Old Testament, that they practiced in the Old Testament. They, uh, they were commanded in the law to give generously, to help their brothers in need. They were commanded to, to pray and seek the face of the Lord. It was established that they fasted regularly uh, throughout the course of, of their weeks and, and, and their yearly calendar. They participated in these things, not as a burden, but in order to be reminded of their, how important their relationship with the, God, with, with the Lord is. And so, as Jesus is teaching here, He does not say, if you do these things, what does He say? When. When. That's, that's an assumption uh, of understanding Jesus makes about His disciples as He's teaching them here, that they will continue, that they will seek the Lord, that they will pray that they will uh, that they will give generously uh, to help those in need of others uh, those others who are in need so why is it important that we understand God's expectations listen God has expectations because he is working in us something far greater 
than you and I could ever fulfill on our own. And in order for us to realize that fulfillment in us, then we must recognize how important it is that we walk with Him. So He says when you give. Now, giving is not uh, look, giving is not uh, something that we do to earn favor with God. Giving is something we do because Jesus becomes the Lord of our lives and of all people in the world. Who's the greatest giver? Jesus is. Scripture says that He gave His life for you and me. So He's this example. If He's my Lord, then, then, then I ought to be willing to, to give of myself to help us. Okay, prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Okay, if I want to get to know someone, how do I get to know them? And, and young people, texting is not the way to do it. Everybody, Facebook is not the way to do it. You talk to them. You have a conversation. And so when you look at the, the, the teachings of Jesus on prayer, Bible says in, in Mark that Jesus got up a long while before daylight and he went out into a solitary place. And what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. He talked to God. He talked to God. Then fasting. Whew. Look, I know, y'all, we're in a Baptist church. But we have meetings about what we're going to eat next. Right? I know. Uh, this concept of fasting and and I want to put it in, in, in this concept to understand a hunger for God that is so strong that we're willing to put aside our pleasure and our desires in order to seek Him. The, the most common fast we see in Scripture is a fast of food. Uh, to put away food. To uh, Look, we, if you've tried fasting, and I know uh, some of you have, if you've tried fasting, when lunchtime comes and you're doing without uh, doing it out in order to you draw near to the Lord. It's easy to draw near to the Lord when you're fasting. Every few minutes, Doc, your stomach says, talk to Jesus. I'm telling you. So we, the fasting is, is setting aside our own pleasure, our own desires to draw near to the Lord. Now, if you're fasting as a diet, that's not biblical fasting. Okay? And so, so he says, look, live these expectations. God has these expectations in your lives, and these are instruments, these are tools that Scripture talks about to get you there, uh, to, to aid you along the way. And, and so Jesus says, not if you do them, but when you do them, um, you're going to see uh, more of this vertically integrated life in you. You're going to see the handiwork of God. The second thing he says is this, live before an audience of one. You, you see that. And that drives our main thought, our main point, is that all things must be done before God and not before men. So as he teaches on these things, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? The pretender. Someone that pretends to be something they're not. Most commonly associated in this day with an actor on a stage. He would be behind a mask portraying someone that he is not. And, and what Jesus says is, do not be like the hypocrites. And when he uses that term, he's talking about religious leaders. He, he's talking about the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that, that, that did things for show. And what he says is, don't be like them. What they do? 
benevolence, their, their generosity. What they would do on a week-to-week basis is they came to the temple, they would go down to the local bank, and they would, they would take their cash, and they would exchange their cash for a wad of coins for a bag of coins, and, and when they'd come into the temple complex, all around the temple complex would be uh, these, these vessels, these large vessels for them to empty their, um, their offerings in. Rusty, that's the problem. We pass these little plates. We need to pass big vessels around. Anyway, they had these vessels around the, the temple complex, and as they came in, they would take their large bag of coins, and they would, they would, as they poured them, they would do everything they could to make sure it made the most noise possible. So that the crowd would, ooh, and awe at their great gift. Jesus said, don't be like them. Prayer. Now, the these hypocrites, these uh, religious leaders, they, they prayed throughout the day. They prayed at 6 a.m., they prayed at 9 a.m., they prayed at noon, and they prayed at 3 in the afternoon. And what they would do is they would go out into the streets. And, and this, this posture of standing for prayer would have called attention to them. And as they called attention to themselves, all of a sudden they would, they would stand and they would pray boastfully in order that everybody else could hear them. What they were doing is they would make sure at three and at six and nine and twelve and three that they would be out in the middle of the crowd so everybody could hear. Ooh, listen to how good they are at praying. Fasting. They fasted regularly. And when they fasted, they would disfigure their faces. I, I, I'm reminded of, uh, of the... Elijah and the prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal. You remember how they, um, when they sought uh, their their gods to destroy those idols, what did they do? Uh, they they became so desperate that that they began to cut themselves and they began to disfigure themselves so that because they thought that they might be heard. Well, well here. They were disfigured. They would cover themselves in ashes. They would they would do things to make themselves look sad in countenance, so that others would say, "Look at him. He's fasting today." And so they did everything before men. Jesus said, "Don't be like them. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Don't don't do anything to be seen publicly. Do it for me. I see you. I." got you. And so when he talks about their giving, give in secret. He says, don't let the left hand know what your right hand's doing. Uh, it's not a literal thing. It's, it's literally, he's saying, you shouldn't make it known. Look, the reality is this. If your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand is doing, then it's nobody else's business either. He says, give in secret. He says, pray in secret. Pray in secret. Pray not so that everyone will say, Oh, that was the most beautiful prayer I've ever you I've ever heard. Y'all pray for that. Y'all pray so people say, hmm, they sound pretty good talking to God. I hope not. Because the goal is not for me to talk so everybody around listens. The goal is for me to open up and talk to Jesus. He says, don't pray so that others hear you. 
Now, not, he's not saying it's wrong to pray in public. He's saying, but don't you, don't you worry about everybody thinking, wow, he's got an incredible uh, theological vocabulary. He's saying, pray. Pray in secret. Talk to God. Just talk to God. Just talk to God. If you don't pray in secret, praying publicly is a whole different aspect. Praying publicly should follow a secret, private prayer life. This is about fasting. He says, don't do like the hypocrites do. Don't cover yourself in ashes. Uh, don't, don't disfigure yourselves. But when you're fasting, walk out into that world trusting me and, let, and, and fasting in secret. You don't have to make it known. Now, I'll tell you around friendship, I have to make it known sometimes. I have to make it known because y'all keep feeding me. It's okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't keep feeding me. But some days when I'm fasting, I have to say, no, I can't today. But it's not out of a discouragement. It's not out of a sad countenance. We fast in secret because it's about drawing near to the Lord. So, so Jesus said, here, live for an audience of one. Don't live. Don't, don't worship. Don't, this could be, the list could go on and on and on. Don't do anything to be seen by men. Don't do anything for that purpose. Do it as though I'm the only one looking and I'm the only one that really counts. Third thing is this. We live for a greater eternal reward. We live in light of Jesus' expectations, we, we live for an audience of one because we live for a greater eternal reward. Every time Jesus says here, don't be like them because they have their reward. Be like this. Be give in secret. Pray in secret. Because the Father who sees in secret and hears in secret will reward you openly. The hypocrites, he's continuing this dichotomy. Their temporary reward was the applause of men. Imagine you walk in and you you pour your your money, and everybody everybody in the crowd begins to clap. When the clapping's done, the reward is over. Just say you stand and you pray and everybody, when you say amen, begins to clap. When the clapping's done, the reward is over. Jesus says, live for the greater reward. The eternal reward. Believers will receive an eternal reward. Look, that is that that may be that the reward we receive is future tense that somewhere down the road but Scripture points that, that, that one day when you and I are called home and we stand before God we will do so and we will receive rewards. Sometimes the extent of those rewards, sometimes those eternal rewards are experienced now because of the goodness of God in our lives. The, the, the point is this. We must live with the eternal in mind. I know somewhere around 
somewhere down the road, you heard somebody say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Y'all heard that before? And what happened is the church became so earthly minded that it's very little heavenly good. And that's a shame. But we, we are trained in this culture to live for the here and now. Uh, to live for the immediate pleasures. And so, so we have trouble seeing beyond the moment. If, if, if there's something presented that, that it may destroy us, it may be bad for us. So right now it would feel so good. We, we wrestle and we grapple with that. But the, the reality is the rewards of the Lord are far greater and longer lasting than anything this world could give us. And so we must live in light of eternity to experience God's eternal reward both here and now. Now listen, I, I, this whole concept of reward in Scripture is, is not clear. We don't know what all those awards, rewards look like, but we do know God's promise is that they are there. My concern today, a concern I have, is that so many are just content to go to heaven. Content to get in the door. Content to walk through the pearly gates. When there's so much more that God has in store for those who are faithful to Him. I I think if you're just content to get in, there's something terribly wrong deeper in your heart. Because Christ was never just about getting people to heaven. He was about getting people to God. And the constant experience of God. I wonder, I wonder this morning what our lives would look like. How they would look differently if you and I choose to live more toward the eternal than we do the temporary pleasures of this world. I want to encourage you this morning. Set your sights. Focus your sights on the prize and don't shoot for anything less. What, what's, the, what's the point? What's the point? I told you, there are these three separate teachings and they get to one incredible point. Listen to this. Here's the point. Your primary concern is to be in a right and living relationship with God and allow Him to be the Lord over your life. I gave you the picture just a few minutes ago of a horizontal and vertical plane. Just imagine with me this morning. This room is your life. Maybe over in this corner is your your home life. What goes on at, at home, wherever you live. Or maybe over back here in this corner is your, your work life. It's, it's what you do, where you go every day that, that you invest so that you can bring home the bacon and, and provide for your family. Maybe over here is your, is your school life and, and everything that goes on in, in your education from, from young people all the way through college and some even postgraduate degrees. And, 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 and then there's your hobby. And, and, and you, just, you, you just fill up every part of this, this room with some area of your life. This room represents you. For some of you this morning, God's not even in the room. 
He's on the outside because you've never trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior. He's on the outside because you've never repented of your sins and given your life to Him. You know, that's why Christ died. That's why the blood of Christ was shed to pay the penalty of your sin debt. And rather than staying on the outside of your life, Jesus rose again so that He could transform your life through His resurrection power. Revelation chapter 3.20, there's this image that, that Jesus is speaking to the church. He's on the outside. The Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. Listen this, this morning. If God is on the outside of your life, what He desires more than anything, first and foremost, is that you come to know Him as Savior. If you don't know Him, and everything else is all up to you. I want to ask you this morning if you'd go to the door and open up and let Him in. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For some of you, God's in the room, but He's over in the corner. He's in the corner. He's He's where you, you try and keep Him. Oh my goodness, you just, you just tuck Him in there because you don't want Him to have any, any display. You don't want Him to have any power in your day-to-day life. You don't want Him to have any authority over you. And what you need to do this morning is get Him out of the corner and give Him your home, your work, your school, your hobbies, your checkbook. Give Him life. Don't just open the door, take Him by the hand and hold tightly to Jesus. Hold tightly. Because every aspect of your life He cares for. And everything that goes on in your life is a part of Him working His plan. Bringing you, drawing you closer to your life. Even the valleys are there because God wants to draw you to Him. Some of you this morning, you know what it's like to walk hand in hand with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. You can testify to the goodness of God and what He's doing in your day-to-day. I would encourage you this morning. It's not just for you to sit back and enjoy Scripture says that what God does in your life is done so that you can grab others and pull them along with you. You can meet them in their time of need and you can encourage them and lift them up. All of us this morning are set in the sights of God. And He has more in store for each of you than you could ever think or imagine. But it's time, right now, that you grab hold of Him 
Let him be in every corner of your life. Would you do that this morning? What am I asking you to do? I'm asking you. Maybe it's to fall on your face before the Lord because you know in desperation that He is all you need. Maybe this morning you need to come and you need someone to come alongside you and say, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? That's what the church is for. So you come. You come down. down, And, and I'll be glad to pray with you. I, I'll connect you with someone in this room that will pray for you. You come. Say, God, I have put you in the corner. But today I'm taking you again and allowing you to be the Lord of my life. God, I, I, I thought I, I've, I've walked with you. I, I've gone through all of these, these motions. I've gone through all these activities. When all the, the, the reality is that all the time you've been on the outside looking in. God, I don't want you out there anymore. Would you come on in? Maybe that's your prayer today. I pray that every one of us today makes the connection that we're never, ever, Pray with me, Father. I thank you so much that in your wisdom you sent your Son Jesus to step out of heaven, put on flesh, and to dwell among us, to lay his life down on the cross, to pay our sin debt to be raised again so that we could have life everlasting and abundant. Today, Lord, you are calling us out of the mundane, of, out of the status quo. You've called us out of just existing in this life but to take hold of you and allow you to have every aspect of us. Father, for the lost person here, pray that today they'd be saved. Lord, for the Christian that's isolated you, pray that today they'd pull you out of the corner and welcome you into their lives every day. Lord, I pray that right here, right now, your name would be glorified as we worship you in obedience and taking the step of faith to declare our faith in you.